A reading from John O'Donohue's To Bless the Space Between Us. Here are his words from the introduction. There is a quiet light that shines in every heart. It draws no attention to itself, though it is always secretly there. It is what illuminates our minds to see beauty, our desire to seek possibility, and our hearts to love life. Without this subtle quickening, our days would be empty and wearisome, and no horizon would ever awaken our longing. Our passion for life is quietly sustained from somewhere in us that is wedded to the energy and excitement of life. This shy inner light is what enables us to recognize and receive our very presence here as blessing. We enter the world as strangers who all at once become heirs to a harvest of memory, spirit, and dream that has long preceded us and will now enfold, nourish, and sustain us. The gift of the world is our first blessing. It would be infinitely lonely to live in a world without blessing. The word blessing evokes a sense of warmth and protection. It suggests that no life is alone or unreachable. Each life, I add, your life, Heartlifter, is clothed in raiment of spirit that secretly links it to everything else. Though suffering and chaos befall us, they can never quench that inner light of providence. Lean in here. While our culture is all gloss and pace on the outside, within it is too often haunted and lost. The commercial edge of so-called progress has cut away a huge region of human tissue and webbing that held us in communion with one another. We have fallen out of belonging. Consequently, when we stand before crucial thresholds in our lives, we have no rituals to protect, encourage, and guide us as we cross over into the unknown. For such crossings, we need to find new words. What is nearest to the heart is often farthest from the word. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heartlifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. I'm so happy to be back with you. I have been off and running whew, in St. Louis, Missouri at the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association Annual Conference, the Golden Scroll Awards, and the Christian Product Expo, which takes place annually and shows us all the brand new books and products and gifts that are coming into 
this next year. I met bookstore owners from all over the country, actually all over the world. Hello to the Nigerian contingency that stole my heart, to my new friend in Montana and Iowa and Idaho and just so many friends. I hope to bring uh, my heart and my heart lifting messages to your bookstore and your bookstores and bless your community. That's that's what our time together was all about. And we just want to bless communities and heart lift them and make families whole and healthy. Today, we are focusing on tool five, speak healing words to your future. And our focus is on the tool of healthy assertiveness. Healthy assertiveness. The intention of tool five, I speak healing words to my future. I open up in this uh, this chapter, this tool, uh, a rare peek into a time in my life, my junior, senior year in college at the great James Madison University, when, as John O'Donohue said in this beautiful reading, though suffering and chaos befall us, They can never quench that inner light of providence. While our culture is all gloss and pace on the outside, within it is too often haunted and lost. I'm afraid that this this tool, when I started writing, God started tapping on my shoulder and he invited me to be vulnerable. Does anybody hate that as much as I do? And you know, the word vulnerable comes from the Latin root. That means to wound or to be wounded or a wounding. And so to be vulnerable is a very, very, uh, ooh, it's a tenuous place. But I felt that tap on my shoulder, and I felt him lead me to write uh, a bit of my story where I felt haunted and lost. Uh, It was actually my junior year in college, and I really was at a difficult place. I call it a tight spot in my life. So I'm just going to begin by reading from page 134. Hi, Janelle, I heard a sweet voice say on the other end of the phone. I have something exciting to ask you. Well, hello, Renee, I said. It is so good to hear your voice. It's been a while. How is your college going for you? Renee and I attended the same home church. During her high school years, we had many interesting conversations about faith and ministry. At the time, I was traveling, speaking, and mentoring young women. Renee, a vivacious rising leader, aspired to develop her own speaking and teaching gifts and often asked me questions about the entire process. Her call was a welcome surprise. What are you doing the first weekend in February, she asked. The women of InterVarsity would love to have you come speak to us at our first women's conference. I know you have a busy schedule, but it would be so awesome to have you as our keynote speaker, especially since you are an alumni and InterVarsity was such an important part of your college experience. What do you think? Do you think that might be possible? Wow. (laughs) What a surprise, I gasped. Really? This is astounding. Never in a million years did I expect this invitation. So let me catch my breath, Renee, and I'll call you in a few days. I hadn't been back to my college campus since the day I graduated, almost 30 years earlier. Isn't it amazing how long a shadow shame can cast? 
I need you to remember that question. Isn't it amazing how long a shadow shame can cast? So here at tool five, having just finished tool four, where we're shifting from a shame narrative in our life to a grace narrative, I felt an imperative to tell my story, at least part of my story. (sighs) I'd been to the city, visited friends, and taken my son to soccer tournaments at a nearby college, but I hadn't returned to boots on the ground on the campus. (laughs) Too many haunting memories that I wasn't proud of. Much like the woman at the well that we were talking about before from John 4, I now understand that I avoided my past and I kept it locked away in a closet of shame skeletons. So as I'm sharing my story, I want you to reach back and perhaps revisit or think, are there any shame skeletons that are still hiding away in the closet of my mind, the closet of my heart, and they're trying to keep me locked and stuck in shame. I write on page 135, if people see the real me, oh, they won't like me. I didn't say yes at first. This request required some real serious soul searching on my part and a whole lot of thought and prayer. On the one hand, standing in front of hundreds of collegiate women thrilled me. Returning to inner varsity, the spiritual soil that nurtured and taught me so much about having a real relationship with Jesus would be deeply, deeply rewarding. Being invited to speak absolutely humbled me. On the other hand, burying my soul in front of hundreds of collegiate women scared me to death. So I'm holding fear in one hand, and passion in the other. Tell my story? Be vulnerable? Unlock a closet of sleeping skeletons? (laughs) Let people see the real me? Are you kidding me? Tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God? Mm, I'm really not sure I'm up for that kind of transparency challenge. That's going to be the subtitle for this This conversation we're having today on Tool 5, Speak Healing Words to Your Future. I am throwing out to you, dear heartlifters, a transparency challenge. Sometimes sharing our story is both riveting and really scary. You have to hold one in one hand and one in the other. It's like holding joy and sorrow, peace and pain. Hmm, Days passed. I couldn't think of anything else. My husband and I prayed. I talked to my closest confidants. I even scheduled a session with my counselor. And most importantly, I sat quietly before God. Then I felt a little nudge and I heard two words. Can you guess what they were? (laughs) Why not? And I heard two more questions. What do you have to lose? Well, nothing. And what do I have to gain? Well, everything. Greater than any fear I felt quaking inside my soul, I desperately wanted to share my story in hopes that would help young women find the true freedom in Christ I had found so long ago. Well, 
Finally, I picked up the phone. I took a very big, just like I just did, a very big, very deep breath, and I whispered a brave, albeit very nervous, yes. Renee, I said, I'll come. Let's do this. Page 135. A walk of shame becomes a walk of grace. Before I could speak one word to these young women, I needed to do something first inside of my heart. I really needed to make a head-heart connection, as we've been talking about. The longest journey is between our head and our heart. I needed to transform my walk of shame into a walk of grace, literally, not just figuratively. You can go back to tool four and refresh your memory there. Earlier in the day, I made my way to the student health center where shame had gotten yet another hold on me. I sat in my car for several minutes. I still can feel, I can still feel the angst in my heart sitting in that car, staring at the infirmary in front of me, which now they call, I think, the Student Health Center, trying to quiet my anxious racing heart. Why, after three decades, which is now four, does this still make my entire body shake? I thought. That's a very important question. So we lean in here and we think about embodiment, what we've been sharing about this process of becoming whole. We have to become embodied because when we are experiencing or when we have experienced any form of trauma, little t, middle t, big t, or any kind of overwhelming experience in our life emotionally, we disembody because it's too big for our body. It's too much for us. So we'll either numb it. We'll drink it to death. We'll exercise it to death. We'll work it to death. We'll shop it to death. We typically go to some extreme or we isolate and go into a deep and dark depression or both. Well, all I could do was pray my brave three-word prayer, which I write about in Overcoming Hurtful Words, my last book, help me, God. Help me, God. Help me here. Finally, I made my way out of the car. I'm talking to myself the whole time. You got this, girl. You've got this. One foot in front of the other. There outside the front door was a bench. I felt it calling my name. So I sat down. I called my husband. And together we prayed the following. We prayed a prayer of gratitude for all God had done in our lives up to this point. We prayed a prayer covered in tears with one final whisper. God Thank you that you are a turn it around God. That's Genesis 50, 20. Today, God, I close the book written by shame. Psalm 103, verse 12. And I begin living my God-breathed purpose. And my God-breathed capacity is to be expanded today. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Bravely, I retraced my steps from the student health center to my sorority house. Now, today I would have taken my phone and I would have actually counted the steps or seen how far that was because at the time it felt like a million miles. It felt like a hundred million miles. It was the longest walk. It was a walk of shame where I, I wanted to just die. You can refer back to tool four where I share my story. And and reread that if you need to, to understand why I felt so much shame. I was living 
a duplicitous life, a divided life as we would call it now. I was presenting as one high-functioning, cheerleading, sorority girl. But on the inside, I was living a life of, of shame to me. One I didn't want to be living. I did not want to have premarital sex. But I did because a little bit of love at that time was better than no love for me. And so I started this walk, rewalking it in my head, retracing the steps. I began to see the journey in an entirely different way. I began seeing it through my Heavenly Father's eyes. Like the exercise at the end of Tool 4, I began to see where grace was writing my story and had been writing my story all along. I couldn't see that for decades. But now I don't want it to, I don't want it to take decades for you. Do you hear me heartlifter? If there are shame skeletons that are rattling in your brain or your mind or your soul and your closet of the of your heart, it is time to open that door and we're going to let them out and we're going to receive grace. We're going to let God write our story our grace story. We're closing the book on shame. Shame is going to have no place in our story anymore. When I reached the sorority house, I was amazed. A bench was outside the front door. I don't remember that bench being there, but it it must have been, or maybe it wasn't. But God, in his loving, tender way, had a bench waiting just for me. I started to see a theme unfolding, as you can. Sometimes altars take the form of very ordinary objects. In my case, these two simple benches became a holy place to pause for a few minutes and let my ancient heart rift experience a much-needed heart shift. Page 137, surrender the sting of shame to the shelter of grace. Oh, please lean in here. This time, instead of calling my husband, I prayed the following alone, a prayer of gratitude for all God had done in my life, a prayer now covered in peace with one final whisper, God, today I surrender the sting of shame to the shelter of grace. Today, I let grace write my story. Every single word I speak and live will be full of grace. Thank you. I sat for a spell and I savored the sunshine that filled that sacred space. Then I got up, I took yet another deep cleansing breath and I moved forward into my vision of victory. That night before opening my mouth, I just took it all in. I stood in this beautiful auditorium at my alma mater, shared my story, but before me, were hundreds and hundreds of collegiate age women also standing at a major threshold in their life. And as I would come to find out, they too felt very haunted and very lost. Not all of them, but many of them. You know, that season of life, and many of you are sending your your sweet children off to college right now. This is a threshold in their life. It can be daunting. It can be amazing. It can be scary. It can be faith building. It can be all the feels. And it was for me. But when I looked at their faces, I 
feasted on their faces. It was quite emotional, quite an emotional experience. And I kept having to take a pause and take a break so I wouldn't cry through the whole thing. (laughs) With a deep sense of gratitude and an entirely new understanding of God's grace, I shared my story. And together we looked at the life of the Samaritan woman in John 4. Over the course of the weekend, we met several times, and each time I felt my heart heal a little bit more and open wider and wider. I found myself speaking with a new voice, much like I imagine the Samaritan woman did when she was filled with a fresh understanding of her God-breathed value, worth, and dignity. Even though centuries separated us, both the Samaritan woman and I experienced the silencing of years of shame by the glorious gift of God's grace. Strange as it might sound, I felt like she held my hand and led me from a life of shame into a life of grace. Her freedom led her to her community in Sicker. My freedom led me to my alma mater. Much to my amazement and sincere joy, the words of my story flowed like living water. I bared my soul. I was vulnerable. I let the skeletons out one by one. I accepted the transparency challenge thrown down at my feet. God said, share your story. Share your story, Janelle. Let the skeletons now out and let them dance. Let them dance dance like nobody's business over the grave of shame. Please, this is for you today. And then after all that, I watched a line begin to form of young women who desired to receive prayer. They desired to share their hearts with me. Totally unbelievable. Some waited a very long time. The ordinary carpet of the ordinary conference room floor took the metaphorical form of of an ancient well. (laughs) Still gets me. We sat on the floor and talked for hours. One by one, they awakened to shame's shrewd, subtle tactics, and they learned to shelter in the gracious presence of God's love. I looked through their eyes and into their souls and felt so deeply and profoundly connected. What an honor, I thought. What a privilege to stand and sit with these young women at the spiritual intersection in their lives. The essence of pain became the fragrance of freedom. I go on to to tell the story of a few days later. I was sitting at my dining room table. No, my, sorry, my kitchen table. I was grading papers because I was a, a junior in high school writing and literature teacher at that time. And dinner's bubbling on the stove. I'm really exhausted from the weekend, but my phone rings. And so I pick it up and I hear this. Janelle, the voice whispered, I'm Heather, and I heard you speak this past weekend at James Madison at JMU. I couldn't believe your story. It is now my story. I am living your story, Janelle, right now, and I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. I hope you don't mind that I called, but I I just didn't know where else to turn. Thank you for giving us your number. (laughs) I can't believe I gave them all my phone number. I could hear her crying and knew this phone call required a great deal of courage. I heard her say four words. 
the same four words of shame that I had spoken decades before. I think I'm pregnant. Okay, I said, her words an echo from my past. Take a deep breath and tell me more. I'm here for you. I then took my own deep breath, quickly assuming a listening between the lines posture. I closed my computer. I took my glasses off. I got real serious, closed my eyes, and I silently prayed for the right words to speak to her sweetheart. Go ahead, I said. I'm listening. She shared her story. She was on edge because the young man, who she believed was the father, was on his way over to be with her as she took the pregnancy test. It was only one time. I can't even believe I let this happen to me. What is wrong with me? I am so stupid. I know better. Oh, she said, he's here. Please pray for me. I prayed and told her to call me back as soon as she had taken the test. About an hour passed and she called. The test was negative. We talked for a while longer. I said, remember the woman we talked about this past week? And I asked, the woman from Samaria who met Jesus at the well. He offered her a new way of living her life. Now, Heather, he's offering you the same. I said, it seems that negative is now part of your new narrative as it was in my life so long ago. Take some time. I know how overwhelmed you must feel. Breathe deeply. I believe there will be a time for you to also share your story down the road, and I can't wait to hear how it unfolds. And Heather, I added, please remember you have value, worth, and dignity. Maybe like me, you've had the wrong plans and purposes, the wrong dreams, and even the wrong mindset. Culture has a strong voice, Heather. And sometimes without even knowing it, we believe that voice. Hmm. It takes courage to swim against the tide. It takes courage to believe in your values and live them out. Take the time to reflect deeply on what just unfolded and sit at the ancient well with Jesus. Allow him to speak to your heart right now, right here, at this very critical time in your life. And I believe in time you will see your future through his eyes. I hung up the phone in awe of God's compassion and love. We don't always get a second chance to revisit the regrets of our past. Poet and author David White expresses this beautifully in his essay, Regret. Regret is a short, evocative, and achingly beautiful word, an elegy to lost possibilities. To admit regret is to understand we are fallible that there are powers in the world beyond us. Fully experienced, regret turns our eyes, attentive and alert, to a future possibly lived better than our past. You know, that's, that's the whole secret of tool five, healthy assertiveness, is to really understand and, and know our value, worth, and dignity. Now, many of you might think, why is that so shameful to you, Janelle? Why was it shameful to Heather? Well, because I had a value in my life. (laughs) I had grown up with values, with faith. And I remember my best friend and I, you know, making a commitment to one another. Now, I I didn't grow up in an evangelical home. I grew up in a a lovely, beautiful Catholic home. My mom was a, a devout Catholic. I grew up in the church, catechism, all those things. 
And there just was innately something inside of me that didn't want to have premarital sex before I got married. My best friend and I would talk about it. We don't want to do that. We want to be pure. It didn't have anything with a purity ring or I hadn't gone to conferences about it. My mom never talked to me about it. Nobody ever did. It was just an innate, inherent value that I had. And yet I didn't know I had value, worth, and dignity. I did not have secure attachment, as you know. I I didn't. I didn't grow up with a father who um, was emotionally attached to me. I, he was detached. He was absent. So I just had a void in my life. And I wanted uh, to have somebody affirm me and tell me they love me. And so when my boyfriend at that time who said he wanted to marry me. I thought, okay, he wants to marry me. It's okay. I went ahead and said yes to premarital sex. And I remember the moment I didn't want to. I was against everything I stood for. And that's what Heather felt. And so then to find out that, oh, perhaps I am pregnant. Well, that was uh, right there was a moment in my life of facing lost possibilities. I wanted to be Miss America. I wanted to be a, a professional dancer. I wanted to be a television bra. I had dreams. I had big dreams. Now, perhaps the test had been positive. Well, I know God would have turned that around and he would have made, that baby would have been mine and I would have taken care of that baby and it would have been what I was going to call to do, I suppose. It, it would have turned around for good. But at the time, it was lost possibilities and that is all I could see. But perhaps even the the deeper the deeper lost possibility was that I was lost and Heather was lost. We had lost our way. And the definition of the verb lost is unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts. So this might be something very relatable to you right here, right now. Whew, I know that even within this global pandemic, I have felt very lost, very unable to find my way, not knowing my whereabouts. So I want to pick up on page 142 in Tool 5. In Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life, author Greg Lavoie writes, saying yes to the call tends to place you on a path that half of yourself thinks doesn't make a bit of sense but the other half knows your life won't make sense without. This latter part, continually pushing out from within us with a centrifugal force, keeps driving us toward authenticity against the tyranny of fear and inertia and occasionally reason, against terrific odds and against the knocking in our hearts that signals the hour. Sometimes, now I'm writing, as in the life of the Samaritan woman, the call of Jesus just won't make any sense at all. It just doesn't make any sense. There'll be half of us that go, this isn't, this is crazy, but the other half knows our life won't make any sense without it. But deep down, the Samaritan woman, and I'm going to add myself, and I'm going to add Heather, knew that the words of Jesus were truth. And that we all had to follow him. The Samaritan woman came to Jacob's well to draw a pitcher of water. Instead, she met a man who offered her living, Zao-filled water, Z-A-O, from which she drew a newfound sense of self. 
Now, I'm always talking in parallels and in relatability here. Think about a time where you were, where Jesus met you. You had a Jesus encounter and it changed everything. Maybe you're here again right now today. I know that I am. We, we never stop needing a Jesus encounter. The Samaritan woman returned and reclaimed her true essence, that true essence of her Genesis 2-7 beginning. She put off her old narrative of shame and she put on her new narrative of grace. It had to start with her first inside of her own heart. That's our foundation here. Above all else, guard your own heart because absolutely everything in your life flows from that heart. She was released. She released the burdensome history of hurts and she discovered the freedom of an authentic faith because she met the Jesus (laughs) the Jesus, and she encountered Jesus, and that changed everything. She embraced healing words and lived from a place of value, worth, and dignity. Most importantly, she found she found her authentic voice and used it to advance the kingdom of God. The moment she realized that Jesus was the coming Messiah she'd heard so much about, she was empowered with a God-breathed capacity and purpose. This is what I love so much about my Jesus. The one I encountered on that uh, sterile waiting room table in the Student Health Center so long ago, looking in at my reflection on the very bright and shiny paper towel dispenser, looking at that mirrored image of myself and going, what on earth am I doing here, waiting to hear whether I'm pregnant or not? This is not who I am. I I don't, this is not my, I'm not living according to my values or my purpose or my, you know, I didn't know back then to call it my essence or my true self. I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew that wasn't me. I went against my morals. I went against my value system. I went against my own value, worth, and dignity when I should have said no. I'd like to save myself for marriage. Instead, because of a very insecure attachment inside of myself, I I really didn't say yes, but I didn't say no. And I spent a great deal of time not in, not being me, not being the true God-breathed Janelle. Heather felt the same way, and I know the Samaritan woman felt the same way. But we were we were just trapped, is that the right word, or stuck in our insecurities and our inferiorities? You know, but the Samaritan woman didn't know what she needed to heal, but Jesus did. We don't know the hard knocks or bad choices or series of unfortunate events that she met along her path. The beauty of Jesus is that he doesn't seem to care about any of that. He meets us right where we are, bad choices and big mistakes, and shows us another I'm going to close here today. I'm going to break this up into two parts as well, because this is a lot, as I like to say, right? This is a lot. There's a lot of a lot here. And I want to give it due time. I know we've been trying to do this summer reset in nine weeks, but what's the hurry? There's no hurry. Let's take our time instead of rushing through life and rushing through things that really need a a little bit more attention. 
you know, a Jesus encounter changes everything. And I believe we all could use a good Jesus encounter. We might not find ourselves at an ancient well, but we could find ourselves on our front porch, our back porch, under the tree, in a park, or on a park bench. Yes, a bench. Oh, those benches. They meant so much to me on that walk of shame to that walk of grace. Maybe find a bench today. Let's do that. And we'll continue next time with the second half of Tool 5, healthy assertiveness, and how when we understand, when we understand our value, our worth, and our dignity, then we understand that we have a voice. And what I found that day, what Heather found that day, what the Samaritan woman found that day is that she had a voice and that she needed to stay true to herself, her true, true essence, and use her voice to speak her truth. Till next time, don't forget, don't ever, ever forget that you are clothed in strength and dignity with nothing to fear. You can smile at your future. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairden.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.